I invite you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles 16 in the Pew Bible, page 467, 467, where we may continue our series of sermons on these various kings and the Lord's work through them or in their lives. We come to chapter 16, and the second chapter dealing with King Asa. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to King Asa, to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Ijon, Dan, Abel-Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Baasha had been building. And with them he built Geba and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, He gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease... Even in his disease, <clears throat> excuse me. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the forty-first year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art, 
and they made a very great fire in His honor. So far, our text. Church of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you find it easier to be a Christian the older you get? If you consider yourself young, I leave that to your discretion, do you look at older members of the congregation and think how strong their faith must be and how nice it will be when you arrive at that age? Older believers have less temptations, right? Older Christians are wiser and stronger in the faith, are they not? We might think of what Job says in chapter 12 of his book, wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. That's the way we tend to think of it. We have our questions and our struggles and our doubts when we're young, but they kind of, we expect that they will fade into the background as we get older and we settle into the golden years where we have profound wisdom and rock-solid faith. Is that the way it works? We get wiser as we get older. Well, the answer is both yes and no. Wisdom is gained by going through life, but it's only gained as we go through life while we're actively placing our trust in the Lord. Getting older by itself does not automatically make a person wise. Scripture says that only the fear of the Lord makes a person wise. Later in Job's book, his friend Elihu rightly says, it is not the old that are wise, nor the aged who understand what is right, but it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand. It's the spirit in a man or a woman that gives wisdom. You can can be young and wise if the Spirit of God is in you and you are leaning upon the Lord. Think of the teenager Daniel, right? He was just 16, 17, he and his buddies, those three buddies. They were wise. Spirit of God was in them. And whether you are younger or older, every wise person knows that sin doesn't leave you alone the moment you turn 65 or the moment you start collecting your pension. Temptations don't stop for the simple reason that our sinful hearts don't stop producing sinful thoughts. And the devil doesn't stop coming around to try and trip us up. And the world doesn't stop trying to steer us away from trusting in Christ. In fact, you can be very old and very foolish. Did you know that? 
The Bible has some examples. Think of Jacob. Think of Solomon. And sadly, that's what we have going on in our text as well. It's one of the sadder stories among the kings of Judah. And as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, these stories are given at least in part as examples to us. Asa, King Asa, we saw that in chapter 14 and 15. He started so well, didn't he? He he trusted the Lord so strongly. He was so faithful. We find in our text that he ends his life, his kingship, so very poorly. And in his kingship, we find a lesson for us and a warning that to avoid his fate, we must do what he failed to do. We must continue to trust, continue to lean upon the Lord from our youth even to our old age. And so I bring you this word of God, keep leaning on the Lord even into old age. Remember your God. That's our first point. And the second, respect His word. Well, the opening verse of chapter 16 tells us that we are in the 36th year of King Asa's reign. The chronicler has been careful all along to plot out the timeline of Asa's kingship. He's told us in chapter 14 that the first 10 years of the king's reign were years of rest and peace. And the attack of Azira the Ethiopian and the miraculous defeat, God's great deliverance. All of that took place in the 15th year of his reign. In chapter 15, we learn about the celebration of that great victory in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's kingship. And then at the very end of chapter 15, the chronicler tells us that there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So, he's charted it all out, and I know for those who've been comparing accounts with the book of Kings, I know there is an unresolved discrepancy in these dates in our text compared to the dates given in 1 Chronicles 15, and the scholars have a few different suggestions for how it can be worked out. And when I looked at that, I thought to myself, well, I don't know what the answer is. There's a puzzle there about these dates, but we're going to leave that puzzle to the scholars and just take note that the chronicler has a very well laid out chronology, and the timeline is clear. For the first 35 years of his kingship, Asa was a faithful king. That's a pretty long time, right? 35 years on the job, faithful. And let's remember that King Asa was faithful to the Lord under great duress. He started out his kingship by reforming the worship of his people. You remember Abijah had certainly let things slip. Asa took away the pagan altars. He had the high places cut down or taken down in uh, Judah. The Asherim pillars were also cut down. He set out to command the the people of Judah to to keep the law of the Lord. He taught them how to do it. And when a million soldiers from Ethiopia came up and threatened the land, outnumbering his army two to one, Asa bravely went out to meet 
the Ethiopians, and he leaned on the Lord. We saw that last time. He cried out to God for help, and the Lord came through in spades, didn't he? The Lord crushed the Ethiopians beneath his feet so that none of the enemy was left. And and when a prophet came to meet Asa on his return and urged him to press on with serving the Lord because there was more reforming work to do, Asa responded with courageous faith. He redoubled his efforts to rid the land of idol worship, and with great joy he and all the people gathered in Jerusalem with people streaming from the north, from the Israelite tribes in the north, to seek the Lord their God. They made a covenant to seek the Lord their God with all their heart. Chapter 15, verse 12. I mean, it was a highlight. Asa even deposed his grandmother, Maacah, for her Asherah pole. So when you add it all up, chapter 14 and 15, Asa was one of the most believing. He was one of the most trusting. He was one of the most responsive kings of Judah, a good example in many respects for generations to come, a testimony to the Lord's grace in the line of David. And then we come to 16. And year 36, and we ask, what has happened to King Asa? Let's take a look at what he did. We read here about Baasha. It's the first time his name comes up. That's the new king of the northern tribes, Israel. And we know from the book of Kings that Baasha was an aggressive man. And verse 1 tells us of our text that Baasha went up against Judah and built the city of Ramah that he might permit no one to go in or out of Judah. So Ramah was in the, the southern portion of the kingdom of Israel. It was also, you could say, in the northern portion of the kingdom of Judah. It was in disputed territory in between the two kingdoms. Sometimes the kings of Judah ruled that in-between area. Sometimes the king of Israel ruled that in-between area. So, Baasha brazenly goes into this disputed territory. He occupies the city of Ramah, and he starts building a fortress. It may not have been directly an act of war, but it certainly was the next thing to it. It was like Cold War. And it put a lot of pressure on King Asa because Ramah was only five or maybe six miles from the capital city, Jerusalem. That's pretty close, right? We're sitting here at the corner of Shaver and 53. It'd be like having a foreign army camped out in Dundas and building a fortress with the thought that they might come and attack us here. I mean, that's close. And Ramah was a bit more than a fortress. It was a city which controlled the flow of goods. Merchants traded along a certain route east to west, and Ramah was right on that route. So by taking Ramah, it put economic pressure on King Asa and on Judah. And on top of that, our text tells us that Baasha was determined not to let anyone from the north, any of the Israelites, defect to the south and thereby strengthen Judah's position. Right? That's what they had been doing for the first number of years 
in, in King Asa's reign, the, the faithful from the north had been streaming to the south. So, pretty clearly, there's a new sheriff in town, so to speak, up in the north, Baasha, and Baasha is tough as nails and smart as a whip. He goes to Ramah, and he puts a chokehold on the south. Smart guy, Baasha. But Asa was smarter. And Asa knew that he was smarter. That's where the problem begins here. Asa sized up his opponent to the north, King Ben-Hadad, or, or uh, Baasha, and he figures out a way to outfox Baasha. He says to himself, I will bribe Baasha's enemy to the north of Israel, way up there in Syria, King Ben-Hadad. I'll get Ben-Hadad to attack from his country so that Baasha has to break away what he's doing in the south and go back up there and defend the northern part of his realm. And that's exactly what happened. Asa completely outwitted Baasha. And he actually did him one better because after Baasha's army left Ramah, Baasha quickly, or, or uh, Asa quickly marshaled all the men in Judah to go to Ramah. They dismantled all the building materials and carried off that and whatever was left there to two other cities in that frontier region. And he proceeded to build up defenses in two other cities that favored Judah. I mean, it was brilliant, right? A brilliant strategy, and it totally worked. Baasha lost Ramah. Baasha lost his foothold in that disputed region in the south. He lost his chokehold on Judah. And Asa, for his part, was able to build up his strength and he was able to do that at the expense of his enemy. I mean, it doesn't get any slicker or sweeter than that, does it, in war? Asa literally built the walls of his own fortresses, and Baasha paid for it. We love that, don't we? I mean, we love it when things work out, when our plans and our strategies turn out to be pretty doggone smart, a winning combination that gets the job done. It's something we can feel pretty good about, we can feel proud about. And right there we start to uncover the nub of Asa's sin. The root of our sin so often too, is it not? is that we so easily size up a problem situation and we develop a strategy, we make plans to solve that problem. We do that without leaning on the Lord. We do that without going to Him in prayer about the circumstance, without going to His Word for direction. That's what Asa was doing here and for the rest of his life, as our text describes it, Asa was, you could say, shifting his weight. For 55 years, we'll come back to that number in a moment, for 55 years, Asa had actively been leaning upon the Lord. His weight had been shifted on the Lord 55 years. 
He had trusted Him through thick and thin. He had committed His heart to obeying God's law, God's will. He had taught the people to do the same. But something happened in those quieter years of peace from year 15 to year 36 of his reign, something happened that made Asa think he didn't need the Lord quite as much as he once did. I got this one, Lord. I'll figure this one out. No no need to trouble yourself. That Baasha thinks he's pretty smart, but I know how to fix his wagon. Don't worry. But brothers and sisters, how smart is it to leave the Lord out of your plans? How practical, how pragmatic is it in the long run if you disregard God, dishonor God, the God on whom your life and my life depends every second? And Asa He's got other sins along with this pride. Asa needs money to bribe Ben-Hadad of Syria. Where does he get that money? Well, we read that he took it from his own house, his own palace, but we also read in verse 2, Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord. You see that? Asa stole from God. He stole the Lord's money to hire hitmen from Syria to do his dirty work for him. How offensive to the Lord was that? Take the Lord's silver. Take the Lord's gold. Asa is, in fact, reversing his previous devotion to the Lord. For if you were to look back to chapter 15, verse 18, you would find there that Asa brought into the house of the Lord, his God, the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. And where did that silver and gold and vessels come from? Would they not have come from that great victory that the Lord had given to Asa over the Ethiopians? You can even read about the spoil at the end of chapter 14, the great spoil they had taken. So, not only is, is, is Asa ignoring the Lord in this situation with Baasha, but he's also stealing from the Lord to carry out his schemes. You ever done that yourself? First, you ignore God. Don't think about Him. And then you steal from God to do your, do, your plan. We can easily do this. We can take from the first fruits of our income, our paycheck, income, which comes from where? Who gives us our jobs and our health and the money? That all comes from the Lord, right? And the Lord lays claim to the first portion of that income, the first fruits. What are we doing when we take that first portion of our paycheck And we use it to further some business scheme or some education plan or some other purchase because we were convinced we could make a success out of that. You take 
from God, you, you forget God, take His money, and go your own way. If you've done that, how'd that work out for you? Maybe it was a success in the short term, like it was for Asa. I mean, Asa thinks that everything's coming up roses, right? Maybe you got everything you wanted when you put your plan into motion. And yet, in the end, it will fail because the Lord's blessing is not upon it. Here we have an example in, in our text of how careful we need to be in judging a situation, judging someone, whether they're blessed or not, based strictly upon their wealth or their success in life or not. There is truth when we've been seeing that. God does bless His people who serve Him faithfully. He does bless them with financial blessings, with uh, larger families. But there are exceptions. It's not a simplistic formula that can always be laid out without consideration of other things. We can't always assume that if a person has lots of money and has a large family that God's blessing rests upon them. There are exceptions. We sang one from Psalm 73. God does allow evil people to prosper at times, and also among the people of His church, the Israelites, His covenant children, He allows the disobedient sometimes to have a certain amount of success, but in both cases, a day of reckoning will come, and those successes will not save us. You can't say on the day of judgment to the Lord, well, Lord, I was successful with what I did, wasn't I? Prosperity, when it is based on unfaithfulness, doesn't count for you on the day of judgment, it counts against you. So earthly success needs to be dealt with carefully. On its own, it could lead us to depend and lean upon ourselves more than the Lord. Asa was doing that. He shifted his weight. He moved his dependence away from the Lord onto himself why? Because he failed to do something. What did he fail to do? He failed to remember. That's what the prophet Hanani is getting across. He failed to remember the Lord and all that the Lord had done for him. Verse 7, Hanani says to Asa, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. I would have given the Syrians over to you, not just Baasha. That's the implication. And then the prophet goes on, Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on that occasion on the Lord, He gave them all into your hand. Asa, brother Asa, you forgot what the Lord did in your life. How could you forget? How could you forget the million Ethiopians 
and how the Lord leveled them below, below your feet. What is Baasha's threat compared to those Ethiopians? Asa, how could you forget the joy you experienced and the unity among the people of God that you experienced in the 15th year of your reign? When people streamed from the north to join you in Jerusalem to celebrate the great victory and to recommit your whole heart to the Lord your God, how could you forget the unity? How could you forget the joy that the Lord provided on that occasion? If only you had remembered, King Asa, what God, your God, had done for you all those 35 years of kingship, if only you had remembered to lean upon Him continually, the Lord would not have only defended you against Baasha, He would have handed you over the Syrians and Ben-Hadad too. The Lord is your God who loves you and defends you Turn now, that's the implication of Hanani's prophecy, turn now, even now, and lean on Him. How is it with you, brothers and sisters? Have you forgotten to remember the Lord? Or do you remember the Lord your God? And all He's done for you personally, in your personal life. There's evidence, all kinds of evidence in the lives of God's people throughout history, and that's excellent to be aware of and to study. But now think of your own life and how God has been busy in it. Do you remember when you were young, when you were a kid or a teenager, and those moments when God helped you, when no one else could help you, you have those moments, don't you? You can think of those times, right? Everybody's got those times. Because your God was watching out for you from your childhood till this day. Think about it and reflect on it. How help was received from God in a way that only God can give it a narrow escape from something, some kind of trouble, some kind of harm, maybe even death. The receipt of strength to do what you thought was impossible to do in the moment, or the time when that friend showed up at that critical moment to support me. He found me. She found me in my distress and helped me. Who sent that friend? Was it not the Lord? Or a word or an action from my mom or my dad that saved me from disaster. Or that healing that I received from that serious ailment I had. Or comfort that came to me when I was deeply sad and mourning. <clears throat> or the encouragement that I I experienced when I was depressed and I felt lifted up as on a rock. Where'd that come from? That came from the Lord. And underneath all of those moments in our lives, the biggest help of all, payment for all my sins in the death of Jesus, the washing away of my guilt, and the gift of the Holy Spirit and everlasting life with my God. Those things are my reality. Those things are your reality. All of these difficulties that we faced, they are your million 
Ethiopians and they're my million Ethiopians, overwhelming enemies in the moment that the Lord nevertheless defeated before us. So do not forget to remember those victories. Do not forget to remember your God and love your God and devote yourself to your God and lean upon your Lord and respect His Word even into old age. You can't stop halfway your life and think, I've got it from here. You can't even stop near the end of your life and say to the Lord, I've got it from here. For Asa is clearly getting older. The Bible does not say how old he was when he started out as king or how old he was when he died. But we know he reigned for 41 years. And if we estimate that he became king at around age 20, that's probably on the younger side, hard to say, but let's say it's around 20 that he became king. That would make him at the start of chapter 16 55 years old. And you say to yourself, well, that's not that old. That's what I said to myself. That doesn't sound that old. But in Israel's day, if you lived into your 60s, so in the time of the kings and, and so on, if you lived into your 60s, you were considered old. David wrote Psalm 71, which we sang, and he wrote about his older age. He wrote about his graying head. Well, he wrote that in his 60s. He died when he was 70, and he was considered a man of a ripe old age. Solomon died at the age of 70, considered a man of old age. King Rehoboam, he died at the age of 58. So as King Asa is approaching his middle 50s, in those days, that would be considered his golden years. He's getting indeed older, and his faith is under fire. We've seen that the root of that was pride and self-reliance, but sad to say, it gets worse for King Asa. The Lord, for his part, in mercy, sends a prophet, Hanani, to expose Asa's sin, to admonish him, and call him to repentance. But how does King Asa respond? Verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. That's got to be one of the saddest verses in this book. That this godly king could fall to that low He put him in the stocks. He persecuted one of the prophets of God. He was in a rage. He was terribly angry with God's servant because of what he said. Have you ever been angry at one of God's servants? Angry with an elder who's approached you with Bible in hand to admonish you about a sin? Angry with a parent who urges you to repent from a certain lifestyle that's wrong. Or 
in a rage with a brother or sister in Christ who sees you drifting off doing your own thing away from the Lord and who exhorts you to turn back to holy living and you get deeply offended and angry. Have you had that? When those humble servants come to you and they come in all sincerity with the Word of God in their hand and the love of Christ in their heart, And you rage at them. And you tear a strip off them. Who are you really raging at? You're raging at the Almighty who sent these simple servants to you, aren't you? Asa's rebellion it spirals downward very rapidly. Not only does he rage at God's prophet, puts him in prison, but we read he inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. He inflicted cruelties. It's a very strong verb in Hebrew. It means to oppress. It means to crush. Most likely, he uh, crushed those who were voicing support for the prophet the former godly king who himself had stood up to oppression from the Ethiopians, the most faithful shepherd king since the divided kingdom, has fallen so far that he is persecuting true believers in Jerusalem. Can you imagine how confused and hurt and crestfallen the faithful in Jerusalem must have been to see their king there in prison a prophet and persecute the prophet's supporters. I mean, that just would have that would have wrecked the true believers to see Asa fall and do those kinds of things. With the prophet Hanani's words, Asa was given a chance to repent, to get back on track. But he shows nothing but disrespect for the word, the word of God. He grows stubborn. And he grows mean-spirited. Asa is not going to be swayed. He thinks, I'm in the right. Very natural reaction, right? It's something each of us needs to guard against. How easy it is to get our backs up. How natural it is to get ticked off when someone comes with the Bible in hand. But do you see that being defensive and proud only leads to our downfall and destruction. There was another king confronted by another prophet. That king was David. The prophet was Nathan. King David had sinned like Asa. Sin was different. You know about it. Sexual sin lying, murder. And God sent Nathan to confront the king with the word of the Lord. And he used that parable. David understood the message of the parable and he was indignant. And then at that critical moment, Nathan says to David, you, you are the man, David. That's you, that wicked man of the parable. And David's heart melted at that moment. 
the mask that he had had on for those many months, it fell away. He saw himself for what he had been, a man guilty of sin with blood on his hands. And, and right then and there, in humbleness of heart, he confessed his sins. It says in the book of Kings, I have sinned against the Lord. That's the way King Asa should have gone. That's the way we should go, is it not? Not defensiveness, but humbleness. Not self-justification, but self-examination in light of Scripture and an honest confession and sincere repentance before the Lord. That's the way out of the, the stupid jam that Asa gets himself in. That's the way out of the stupid jams we get ourselves in. Because as we read from Psalm 32 earlier in the service, if we confess our sins, God is gracious and will forgive. That's the way out. Asa did not learn from King David, apparently. He falls, and he falls hard. Even when the Lord inflicts King Asa with serious, a serious disease in his feet, Asa does not take the hint. The sending of disease was one of God's covenant curses, Deuteronomy 28. Curses for rebellion. And it was a, a message from God. It was a sharp poke you could say, from the Lord, meant to wake up His covenant child from His rebellion. But look at what the chronicler reports, verse 12, yet even in his disease, Asa did not seek the Lord, but he sought help from physicians. Don't misunderstand that. That's not a knock against doctors. Luke in the New Testament was the physician well-respected. No, this is a, this is a matter of trust of seeking. Remember that, that verb is a special verb in the book of Chronicles? We saw that last time. To seek doesn't mean that you go searching for something that was lost. No, no. It's a way of talking about trusting in the Lord and walking in the Lord's ways. Seek means that you rely on God's promises and you, you live according to God's commandments. That's how you seek God. So even though Asa had heard the rebuke of the prophet, and even though he had experienced directly the afflicting hand of God in a painful illness, Asa continued to lean on his own understanding. He thought he was standing firm. That was Paul's warning to the Corinthians. Be careful that you think you stand lest you fall, and Asa fell flat. He put his trust in those earthly physicians. He ignored the fact that only God, his God, is the great physician. And so Asa died from his terrible disease, and he died even more terribly under a cloud of his hard-heartedness. That's what makes the story so sad. It makes you wonder, was Asa saved? And it raises questions for us. Can a person be a believer most of his or her life and then in the end fall away? 
Someone asked me this very question this last week. It's a real question. Can I really be certain that I personally am saved, that I won't rebel in my latter years? Can I be certain that I am elect? Well, to start with the question about Asa, the Bible doesn't exactly say where he ended up. On the one hand, we have his clear rebellion in these latter years in chapter 16, right up till the day he died, so that doesn't look too good. Let's be honest. On the other hand, chapter 15, verse 17, the writer comments, nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. That's the other side of the coin. And his people remembered him as a good king, for they not only buried him in the city of David, they also made a great fire, we read, verse 14, in his honor. So, Asa is a mixed bag. And we're all glad that we don't have to make that final judgment, aren't we? Thank God he makes the final judgment. So, we don't have to know, we don't have to pronounce But one thing we do not want to be, we do not want to be in Asa's position at the end of his life, do we? We don't ever want to come to the end of our days with the hand of God weighing down upon us in punishment and our loved ones around us wondering whether we went to heaven or went to hell. We don't want that, do we? How can we avoid the question marks? Well, the secret to avoiding the question marks, the secret to avoiding Asa's downslide is to do what he did not do, is to lean upon the Lord with all your heart. And you do that by remembering, taking time to remember all that the Lord has done for you personally. And you do also respect, have every respect for His Word, to submit to His Word and we do those, that remembering and that respecting from our youth all the way through our life. We never stop. Constant dependence, you see, on God is what brings with it constant assurance of salvation. So we can know whether we are saved once and for all. We can know whether you or I personally are an elect child of God. So long as we are depending on the Lord, He has His way of assuring us with the presence of the Spirit and the outworking of the Spirit's powerful work in our life. We are sorry for sin. Asa wasn't sorry. We repent of our sin. That's what Asa failed to do. And we love to do what is right in the eyes of God. When those things are present in our lives, that's evidence that the Spirit is there. It's evidence that we are elect. And the Spirit goes to work when we are dependent on the Lord, when we lean upon the Lord. Isn't that what our great King, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, did while on earth? You know, He didn't get very old in His earthly ministry, only 33 Yet in every one of those years, he carried the burden of God's wrath against your sin and mine. And so you could say he experienced 
many, many lifetimes under that burden. He experienced an eternity under the burden of God's wrath, and yet all throughout those times, he kept leaning on his Father in prayer. Right up to the night of his betrayal, he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying on the way to the cross. He was praying on the cross. And his last breath was a prayer to his Father. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was leaning on the Lord. And along with that, the Lord Jesus respected every word of God. He obeyed his Father's will to the utmost, always trusting and His Father's promise to raise Him from the dead, and along with Him as Messiah to raise from the dead all who belonged to Him, all of His sheep, all who would place their trust in Him, all the King's men and all the King's people. So the question boils down to who you're going to lean on. Lean on me. No. Each of us needs to say, I will lean on the Lord alone. I'll do that today and every day He gives me. Then you and I will not dry up and wither as we grow old, but just the opposite as we'll sing in a moment from Psalm 92, still fruit in old age bearing. The last stanza of the psalm. They, the elderly, fresh and green remain. Their witness makes it plain. The Lord is just and caring. His righteousness and favor they shall proclaim in song. In Him there is no wrong. He is my rock forever. Fruitful in old age, that that only gets done by us as the grace of God works in us. So lean on the Lord and be fruitful all the days of your life. Amen.